BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. The problem is when I tried to make the switch to clean beauty 100%, I actually found oftentimes it was really irritating for my skin. And then if you look at products that are safe for sensitive skin, I felt like a lot of those products... Even if they're like the Cetaphils and CeraVe's of the world, which can be great products, I felt like they were really benign, but they weren't necessarily clean, if you will, right? So I was looking for that combination of being both safer sensitive skin and being clean that also could offer the other part of it, which was like high performance and fun. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Hey, hey, beauty friends. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Beauty Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jill Dunn. And hey there, Carlene. I feel like we've been ships in the night with our holiday schedules. (laughs) Hello, hello. Today I'm (laughs) dialing in from a friend's sofa. You know, we're couch surfing as a family with a dog while we do renovations. So the changing background, the ever-changing background here as we Zoom, Jill. I know you're you're keeping me on my toes. I'm like, where is she today? Where in the world? So (laughs) hopefully you'll be sleeping in your own bed sooner than later. It's all exciting. It's all exciting. Everything is in backpacks, including my Breaking Beauty Terry Scrunch and Guys, if you haven't picked one up yet, there's still a few left in the Dear Media shop. And whoever has purchased one, I want to thank you. I hope you're enjoying it. Stay tuned for more merch drops and new logo reveals on our Instagram coming up this fall. Yeah, we've been working on so much behind the scenes, you guys. Can't wait to reveal it all. So on to today's episode. It's our last founder chat of the summer, and it's only fitting that we have a brand that's born and inspired by the beach. Today, we're welcoming Amy Liu. Amy is the founder of Tower 28 Beauty, and it's the brand that was launched in 2019 that's named in honor of the infamous Tower 28 lifeguard stand where these two kind of iconic LA worlds come together. It's the crossroads of the Santa Monica Pier and Venice Beach. That's right. And aside from its killer beachy aesthetic, it's got this acrylic packaging with really wearable sunset-esque colors of cream blushes and bronzers. You know, I love those. Lip glosses and highlighters. 
Tower 28 caught our eye very early on because of the fact that it's a color cosmetics line dedicated to sensitive skin. So hands up over here. And it's a whole vibe. It's so different from a lot of the other brands that you would think of associated with sensitive skin that might feel a little stuffy or clinical. This is just way more like current and young and cool. I love it. Totally. And this one just feels like more carefree. Like you can swipe it on when you're in a convertible wearing your SPF, of course. <laughs> it's also cruelty-free and vegan. And it's currently the only makeup brand, Carlene, to follow the U.S. National Eczema Association guidelines, which basically means that their products contain zero potentially irritating ingredients. And it meets the standard of the U.S. National Eczema Association. And also in sort of a cheeky nod to their name, none of their products cost more than $28. So it is really affordable too. Yeah. I didn't even know that. That's so great. The brand is already the number six clean beauty brand at Sephora. And it's already racked up a list of celebrity fans like Olivia Munn, Mandy Moore, Kate Bosworth, and makeup artists like Katie Jane Hughes. They're in love with this line as well. What's really interesting to me about this brand is that even though they're a color cosmetics brand, their number one best-selling product is actually their one and only skincare offering, which is their SOS Daily Rescue Facial Spray. And its sales tripled during the pandemic. So Amy's going to tell us all about what this magical mist does and what sets it apart. Yes. And Amy is also going to talk to us about why this category, this ever-evolving category of clean beauty isn't necessarily the be-all and end-all for some sensitive skin, like some people might think, to have your skin not react. She's also going to talk to us about why the facial treatment spray is such a killer cure-all and the surprising things people are using it to treat, including maskne. And finally, she's going to talk to us about how she's inspiring the next generation of BIPOC founders in a really hands-on and meaningful way. So here she is. Welcome, Amy Liu. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, Amy. Tell us a little bit about your life growing up. You're a born and raised California girl, right? I am a born, not, I am not a born and raised California girl. So I actually right. was born in Minnesota and my parents moved to America from Taiwan, really in search of the American dream. And so I was born in Minnesota in the Midwest. And then I did grow up in California from the time I was about six years old. So I very much feel like I'm from California. Yeah. And were you into like surf culture and all that? Or tell us a bit about growing up there. I mean, I grew up in the 90s and I grew up in a town called Claremont, which is on the east side of LA, the Inland Empire. And even though we were not very close to the beach, it was a time when beach culture was super popular. So, you know, all the, a lot of the brands actually that are popular now, like Billabong and Stussy and all of that was really popular. And I think one of the things for me was really feeling like I didn't see myself very much, certainly in the aspirational advertising that was put forth. And whether it was beauty or it was celebrity or any of those types of things, I think growing up Asian American, I think that was one of the things I really struggled with is not seeing myself there and trying to change that now. I read that your mom is a professional calligraphy artist. Is oh that God, right? Yes, and she are is. you artistic as well? Yeah, we do the deep dive you do the deep here. dive. I think I actually have a pretty creative family. So my dad is an architect and then he became a property developer. My brother is an architect as well. And my sister works in fashion and my uh, mom, like you said, she not by trade, that wasn't her job, but she became a professional calligrapher in her older life. 
in her retired life. I wow. Should say. Amazing. Amazing. And now this is a, a little, maybe a little or known fact, but I read that your dad was not only an entrepreneur, but he visited fortune tellers before <laughs> yeah. making big decisions. Is that true? And if so, are you, are you into the whole astrology tarot card reading? I really, I think anybody who is close to me knows that. So essentially, you're right. When my dad, growing up, my dad was an entrepreneur. He had his own business. And I think as part of that, he often felt kind of uncertain or maybe about what was going to happen next, or maybe even a little like that saying, like lonely at the top. And so I grew up with him. At one point, he was like the guy who would like pull over to like the neon lights psychic. And I would sit in the waiting room while he was going to get some, I don't know, assurance, I think is what he was really looking for. And I'm one of those people that kind of can't turn down a good recommendation. I try not to do it too often. So I probably go, I don't know, I would say like twice a year I go. Okay. Yeah. Do you wear crystals? Do you do all that? (laughs) I don't do all the crystals and everything, but I do really believe in good energy, whether you're talking about like feng shui or you're talking about being able to read people's energy and and the feeling that comes with it. And I really do believe in manifesting and how, you know, you give before you get. And I think that life kind of, that you get what you want in life and that you you put into it what you get out, not to get too woo-woo. Too. <laughs> yeah. So Amy, at one point you ventured into the beauty world, obviously, and I read that it was an internship with Maybelline in the lip liner department. I mean, I've been working in beauty a really long time and I never even thought about the fact that Maybelline had a whole department devoted to lip liner, (laughs) but apparently they do. So I actually went through quite a bit to get that job. I, I did a few things. I got like a list of all of the different people who were executives at L'Oreal and I started FedExing my resume to all of them and basically called and I said, you know, I'm coming to New York. I'd love to get an interview with so-and-so. And I think the people were so thrown off to get a resume via FedEx that the assistant started making these appointments for me. And so I ended up going to L'Oreal and I was going from, it's five, you know, it's literally 525 Fifth Street where all of the different floors or different brands. And I was going up and down the elevator and doing interviews. And at one point, I think it was interviewing with Biotherm and the guy was interviewing me and he goes and he answers the phone and he says, Hey, are you interviewing at other places here? I was like, yeah, I'm interviewing at all of them, anywhere I can get an interview. And finally he was like, you know what? You can just go home. We will give you a job. Like I had exhausted every version of trying to get a job there that I could. And I ended up on the Maybelline team. So I know after that, you went on to work at Josie Moran and Smashbox and Kate Somerville. And I wonder, was it always in the back of your mind that you might launch your own brand or when did you get inspired? Yeah. So I have always wanted to launch, not necessarily my own brand. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur growing up. The thing is that I was really risk averse and actually pretty, I think I have a pretty strong fear of failing. And so one of the things that was really hard for me was to actually just take the leap. I mean, I did all of the the homework, I would say pretty early. So I was the person who read like every book on entrepreneurship when I was in business school. I concentrated in entrepreneurship, but I really did tell myself, and it was true that I, I was going to you know learn on someone else's dime and I was going to take all of these jobs. And I went from, like, if you look at my tra- trajectory, I went from Maybelline to 
Smashbox and then to Kate Somerville and then to Josie with always. So the companies got smaller and my role got bigger and I got closer to kind of a seat at the table with the founder and really seeing what that was like. And it was, but it took me a long time. I mean, I've worked in the beauty industry for 15 years before I started doing this. So it was definitely something I always wanted to do, but I didn't have, I think I was afraid to be honest with you. And I also didn't have the financial security to do it, which I think is, I think a lot of people romanticize this idea that you can like put everything on your credit card or you can do it out of your garage. I didn't have that. I just didn't grow up like that. I didn't have that risk tolerance where I felt like I could do that with my credit cards or that I couldn't make money and I couldn't be able to take care of myself. So it, it definitely took me a little longer. I'm curious, what was the the point where you just said, okay, I'm doing it? Like after, you know, tiptoeing into it for so long and being a bit more risk averse. Yeah. So I did take a long time. I took a, I took a break at one point. So after I was working at Josie, I actually I had two kids at that point and balancing a really demanding job and having my kids be really small. I basically decided to take a few years off and have a third child and be with my kids. And I worked part-time. So it's consulted for some cosmetic brands here in LA. And basically I, I wanted to get back. So it was really one of those things where I wanted to work again. And I thought this is going to be it. And so I met with a friend of mine who tends to know a lot about things, a lot of things going around in LA. I went to business school with him. He sat down with me and he said, I asked him, I was like, listen, I'm looking for something. I want a role that has, you know, X, Y, and Z. And he was like, we went to school so long ago and we were co-presidents of the Entrepreneurship Venture Management Association. And he went on to start a business right after school and I never did it. And he literally looked at me and he was like, you're not getting any younger. Either you're going to do it or you're not. If you take another job right now, you're literally just not going to do this. And you've been talking about it for a really long time. And I was really defensive and I was kind of like, well, one, I don't have the money to do it. Two, I don't have a partner. He said, well, if you had money, you wouldn't need a partner. And so I was like, well, I still don't have any money. And he's like, okay, well, what if I was the first money in? You figure out how much money you need to raise. He's like, but I will be like the first capital that comes in. And if you can raise the rest of it within, I think he gave me 30 days at the time. It was wild. But he told me if I could raise the rest of it, that he would give it to me basically. And so what was pretty incredible about that was he he gave me terms and he said, like, if I give you this much money and these are the terms around what the investment looks like, I want you to walk or don't take my word for it. We're not just friends. You should go see people and talk to them and see if they would invest and see if these terms are good. And so I did that. And I, I think it's such a good reminder for other people too, who are interested in raising money or even looking for advice. I think there's a, an adage that people say now, which is don't ask people for money, ask them for advice. And I think it's actually true. I didn't do it with that intention, but I was given this opportunity and I felt like, I don't know if this will ever come again. And so, and it was almost, it almost got gamified because he gave me this really short window to do it. And so I started asking people like, Hey, are these good terms? This friend came along and said this to me. And I, you know, I called my best friend immediately and she was like, I would invest. And then like my, you know, a girl who was my coordinator two jobs ago was like, Hey, I heard through the grapevine, this was happening. I want to invest like another guy I worked with offered. And so it wasn't big checks. It was a bunch of little checks. And it was a lot of my own community that really kind of came through. 
And before I knew it, I had I had raised the money. So I didn't, in the end, end up raising it in 30 days. I, ra- I raised in 60 days. But that was really the the impetus. Wow. Just tough That's love. That's amazing. <laughs> And so what was like your 30-second pitch to all of these people? You have a very specific angle that goes beyond just clean beauty. Maybe you could talk to us about the white space and what you felt was needed and not being offered on the shelf. So for as long as I have worked in the beauty industry, even longer than that, I've had eczema. So I've had eczema literally since I graduated from college. And I'm pretty sure it was something and it is something that is really hard for me. So I think especially when you work in the beauty industry, there is this implicit idea that you, one, wear makeup, that you know a lot about beauty and that you have like great skin, right? And so I think as somebody who was going, working for these brands that was selling Aspiration and I was going into Nordstrom, Sephora, Neiman Marcus, et cetera, and selling the next best moisturizer or makeup product, I really felt super insecure because my skin didn't look like that. And I was pitching it, but I was like, well, don't look at me because I've got all these problems. And so I really wanted to wear makeup. I was surrounded by makeup. I wanted to use it and I felt like I couldn't. So I actually, Tower 28 and what we're really trying to do is kind of a combination of my experiences, which is when I was working at Josie Marin specifically, I became a a lot more aware of clean because she was really early on that kind of path of clean and what that meant. And then working at Kate Somerville, I was really aware of skincare and I really understood kind of, I started to really understand how skincare worked within the skin and how actives worked and everything. The problem is when I tried to make the switch to clean beauty 100%, I actually found oftentimes it was really irritating for my skin. And then if you look at products that are safe for sensitive skin, I felt like, a lot of those products, even if they're like the Cetaphils and CeraVe's of the world, which can be great products, I felt like they were really benign, but they weren't necessarily clean, if you will, right? So I was looking for that combination of being both safer sensitive skin and being clean that also could offer the other part of it, which was like high performance and fun, because those are things that I really want from makeup too. So that was kind of the, the goal. So it was really those as well as being an accessible price point. I think we started the conversation talking about how I was really attracted to like beach culture. And I've lived now, I live on the West side of LA and I've been there for quite a long time. And one of the things I really love about it is that when I go to the beach, you just see every type of person. So Tower 28 is actually like a real lifeguard at the corner of, or at the intersection of Santa Monica and Venice. And I just love that in that particular crossroads, you see every kind of person and the beach is this place that democratizes kind of like healthy, clean living. And it's also like a a community spot, right? It's literally where I've met my friends when I, when we go to the beach for the longest time. And so it just seemed like the perfect name. So yes, it's essentially, it is clean, but really like clean with the intention of being safe for sensitive skin. Awesome. And I think maybe if you can reflect a little bit about that whole vibe, the beachy vibe, because I think for so long it was like the character from Blue Crush or, you know, these blonde (laughs) beachy waves. And like, that's not the only people that go to the beach, guys. So maybe you can reflect on that because you are like, you know, born and raised in that zone. So I assume that that really played into this branding as well. Yeah, I think it is, you know, as somebody, again, who grew up around beach culture, and then I 
you know, I married a guy who is a surfer and really into surfing, but also doesn't look like that. Like he's not, you know, he doesn't have blonde hair. He's, he's also Asian American. And I really felt like there is almost something about beach culture that I wanted to like flip on its head and show how diverse it really was and how the beach that I know looks today. So, I mean, if you go to the beach, there literally is every kind of person. And even in particular at that spot where Tower 28 is, there is, I mean, you literally go one direction and you smell like weed in the air coming from Venice and you see people getting tattoos and then you go the other way and it's like double jogger strollers and like, you know, tourists and families and crabs on people's shorts, right? It's it's like literally every kind of person. But clean beauty, especially at that time, was pretty expensive. So it was to me this idea that beach culture was one, aspirational in a way that wasn't accessible to a lot of people, but that also from a price point perspective, I felt like clean beauty was pretty expensive unnecessarily, right? So if you look at the average lip gloss price point in the clean space, it is, I don't know, like 22 to $26 and ours is $14. So the hope there really was, I mean, initially, and you've talked about like, what was my initial pitch to investors? It was so different than it is today because actually the sensitive skin part of it, I didn't include because at the time, I felt kind of odd about putting my own story into it. I've never been like a very, again, I've, I've been a great number two, right? Like I've worked for other people. I didn't, I wrote other people's speeches and their press, you know, responses and those types of things. So it is kind of different for me to be on the other side of things. But in the beginning, it wasn't about the sensitive skin stuff as much as it was about wanting to give clean products to a younger generation. And to me, younger meant also price point. Definitely. I love that everything's under $28. This episode is brought to you in part by Atik. So how many of you have played that game? Where in the world would you live if it wasn't here and answered New Zealand, right? You've got the incredible climate, beautiful views. Jacinda is pretty rad and they even have Atik, a New Zealand-based sustainable beauty brand that's on a mission to help you give up the bottle. The beauty bottle, that is. Atik consciously crafts ultra-concentrated shampoos, conditioners, skincare, and body care all in the form of beauty bars. So there's next to no packaging and what little there is, it's all 100% plastic-free and home compostable. So if you're thinking about zero wasting your beauty routine, think about Etique. And if you don't know where to start, well, they've made that easy with sample packs that include five different solid face products like cleansers, face scrub, moisturizer, and even a serum. Or what I've been using all summer is Atik's lip balms. I really like the So Cocoa flavor. It smells like chocolate. There's even a rouge tinted lip balm called Sugar Plum. And the best part is you can plant the entire thing in your garden when you're done. I just read on their website that 200 million lip balms are destined for the trash every year. So that's something to think about. And in addition to using plant-based ingredients, Atik products are palm oil-free, cruelty-free, and vegan. And the company is living wage certified, working in direct trading. So it's all about that transparency through every level of the supply chain, which we love. 
To check out the full range, visit atique.com. That's spelled E-T-H-I-Q-U-E.com. You know, it's pronounced kind of the French way. Don't worry, I'm going to link to that on our blog and in our show notes. That's atique.com. Join the revolution and give up the bottle. And now back to today's guest. Just going back to what you were talking about, the difference between clean beauty and, you know, beauty for sensitive skin how would you get a bit more specific about what that means in terms of your formulations and like how it's sort of tested or vetted? I mean, so first of all, I think for a a long time, there was this notion that clean meant natural and that's not Mm -hmm. true anymore. So what I believe in is that I believe in synthetics. There are safe synthetics. I don't demonize other products. I mean, I think it's really whatever works for you and for your own skin. And if that works, great. I think we all, I mean, the same way I eat, right? Like I will not turn down an In-N-Out hamburger, but I'll also, I don't know, go eat at Erewhon every once in a while, right? So it's, I think it's just about balance. For us, it's our product philosophy. So the way that we make our products is we actually use, our products are vegan, they're cruelty-free, but on top of that, we actually use two no-no lists. So we Look at Credo's. We're sold at Credo and at Sephora. So we use both of their no-no lists in terms of clean to make sure. And then in addition to that, we actually use the National Eczema Association's no-no list, which is pretty robust as well. And the thing that they really care about is just irritation. So I was, as a person, following the National Eczema Association's no-no list when I was looking for, like, my detergent and my lotion and things like that. And so I kind of got to know them as an organization, first as a consumer, And then when I was starting to really think about the product philosophy and how we would go about making the products and what ingredients I wanted to put in it as well as what I wanted to avoid, I went to them. And I really love that they're so clear and so they're almost maniacal, honestly, about the ingredients and the way that they vet the products. And they really don't give the seal approval to just anyone. So it's a combination of you have to give them your ingredient decks and you have to avoid, avoid, avoid. But then you also have to third-party test to make sure that irritation is not showing up. You have to patch test on humans. And then you have to have your own dermatologist, like a dermatologist approve those results. And then on their side, they take all of that information with their doctor panel and they review it again. So it's a pretty strict process, which we live in a country that doesn't have that much regulation around beauty. And so I like the fact that I have a third party organization, whether it's, you know, Sephora and Credo giving me a no-no list and really being on top of kind of what are the ingredients that are going to be more harmful. And then also looking at Credo as opposed to, I think some brands in the past have been like, well, this is just my opinion and this is my philosophy. I'm sort of relying more on people who are real experts. And as a founder, Amy, I'm curious how you felt about this backlash, so to speak, within the clean beauty movement? I mean, you mentioned the words fear-mongering and, you know, maybe some claims that have been, there's been some liberties taken with them. And a lot of scientists have been um, speaking out against these free-from claims on TikTok and even on Instagram. And they're you saying, don't use the word non-toxic. And then each retailer has their own list of what, you know, measures up for them in terms of what means clean. So, it's kind of confusing for the customer, I think. So has this whole new conversation sort of caused you to reassess or rethink any of your own beliefs around this or your own communications and try to like make sense of it all for people? 
Yes, the answer is yes. I mean, definitely. I think you're 100% right that the even the word clean, I think, can be really almost triggering for some people because people don't want to feel like the decisions they're making are bad ones, right? I think it's a very individual thing, just like it is, again, like eating, I think is a very individual thing. Like the way that you manage your own diet, the way that you figure out what's right for you, what's right for me might not be right for you, right? So for me, if I eat a lot of sugar, I really do find that my skin gets worse. Less so if I'm eating like, I don't know, natural sugars like fruits and things like that. But it doesn't mean I never eat a red vine or whatever. It just means that I kind of try to balance things. So when it comes to clean, I think the number one thing I've tried to be really careful about is the way that we say things as opposed to, I mean, our product philosophy is our product philosophy. And I'd like to think the the proof is in the pudding. I got a facial the other day and I felt really proud when I was talking to the esthetician and she told me that she had actually bought our products, you know, obviously without knowing me. And she said the reason she bought them was because she turned, you know, as somebody who knows a lot about ingredients, she looked at our ingredients compared to like two or three others that were similar products. And that was how she picked. So ultimately, you know, I think we end up getting consumers who know about ingredients and understand that we're making products that just don't have irritating ingredients in them. But by the way, like essential oils, we don't have essential oils. We don't have fragrance in our products. That doesn't mean that essential oils are bad. It just means that certain essential oils can be more irritating for certain skin types. You still have to make these decisions for yourself. So I'm not I'm trying to be careful around fear-mongering because I do think it is, I'm trying to make products for like the, almost like myself, right? So like someone who is really sensitive and then like the baseline and then everybody else should be able to use them. But if I can at least like be the most extreme of it, then the person who has like breakouts once in a while, she's like, okay, well, it's non-comedogenic. Maybe she doesn't care about essential oils. Maybe that never bothered her, but at least... Like, I'm kind of trying to speak to the lowest common denominator, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I personally love for summer your cosmetics, like your bronzino I'm holding here, and, or bronzino rather, <laughs> and your beach please I've got here. I love wearing them in combination, not bronzino. That By the way, my kids, literally, literally every time we go to a restaurant, my kids are like, bronzino. Like, I mean, an Italian restaurant, they're like, bronzino. I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. So I love these so much. I was surprised to hear that the SOS Save Our Skin Daily Rest Rescue Facial Spray, it's your only skincare offering, is the number one bestseller. And I even read that you said it's really helped your eczema, even cured it. So that's a pretty big claim. So what the heck is that and how does it work? And how? Because I just want to know why it's like popped off above these yeah. cosmetics that I already love. So I had actually started making the makeup products and kind of going down the path of launching Tower 28 before I even knew about hypochlorous acid. And the true story is a friend of mine whose um, husband is actually... Just to stop you, that's the main ingredient in your spray, right? Right. Sorry. So SOS's main ingredient is hypochlorous acid. And hypochlorous acid is actually an ingredient that I guess probably the easiest comparison is like a hyaluronic acid, right? So hypochlorous acid, like hyaluronic acid, is actually made inside of our own bodies. But what hypochlorous acid does is it actually, it works in a reaction to anything that your body understands as like a wound or angry skin. So if you get anything from a, whether it's a sunburn or a wound or a cut or 
anything that needs to heal, your body is going to heal itself. Your body wants to heal itself. So it will send hypochlorous acid to the surface and say like, it will both defend it from in an anti-inflammatory way and it will be antibacterial. So that's what your body is trying to do. It's like the same way when you get a cut, it will heal. What happens is when you spray hypochlorous acid topically, your body is like, oh, okay, we're doing this, we're making it. And your body will then also regenerate and make more of it on its own. So it does have those properties to help keep it cleaner, which is the antibacterial side of it, and also the anti-inflammatory, which is the soothing side of it. So basically, Mm -hmm. I heard about hypochlorous acid from a friend of mine whose husband is a surfer, and he was using it for his reef cuts. So whenever he was like walking around and getting reef cuts, he was using this, and she got some of it and she was reading the label and she started using it on her face. And she was like, I just think it's pretty awesome. And she has nothing wrong with her skin, but she felt like it made it smoother and better. And she was reading about the the benefits and she's like, you know, maybe you should try this for your eczema. And so I tried a, a product that had hypochlorous acid in it and I put it on my, my body and on my face. Cause I, historically I've gotten eczema, not only between my fingers, but also behind my, in my, kind of in my crevices, if you will, like my elbows. And then I would also get it on my face, especially around my nose and my eyelids. This spray was so interesting for me because it's been the first product that I've, I mean, and I would say this honestly, even if it wasn't my product, but it has literally changed my skin and made it so that my skin is just more constant and I can count on it. Like I used to wake up in the morning and not know. I don't know if you've ever had that, but like, I think people with acne can understand that too. Like you wake up and you literally don't know what you're going to get today. And for me, I really just didn't know if I would like have, you know, a flare up or something. And then the more you worry about it, the more you touch it, the bigger it gets. And I think that's also bacteria, right? So I don't think bacteria is what causes these issues, but whether you're talking about acne or any other skin issue, bacteria makes it worse. So Mm -hmm. for me, using something like SOS really did just control it. And so now I still use it every day, morning and night, but I don't use it throughout the day because I don't need to. But for people who have real issues, it seems like it makes a difference to use it frequently as opposed to like drenching your skin. But yeah, it's been huge for me. So when you were on the path and you were creating the color cosmetics, your friend tells you about this. Was this part of your offering when you first launched? It was. It was. So basically what happened was I found out about it. I started using somebody else's product. Then I went to a chemist and I was like, listen, this product that I'm trying is working on my body, but it's not working on my face for whatever. But that was still progress to me. So I was like, let's figure, is there something we can do? So I found a chemist and he had been working with hypochlorous acid for like eight years. And he was like, let's play with it. Let's play with the pH level. Let's play with the concentration. Let's figure out how to make it work for you. And when we got it to a place that really was working for my skin and my face was feeling a lot better, then I got like a hundred white label. I mean, literally we put like a sticker on it and we, it was like me and the two girls on my team who are gratefully still with me. And we sent it out to kind of anyone we knew. And we didn't really give them a lot of context. We were just like, Hey, what do you think of this? Cause they were all friends and the results were incredible. I mean, people came back to us and had the most amazing stories. I had an intern in the beginning who got a boob job and she, while she was with us and she was using it in her recovery. 
And her doctor said to her, like, I've never seen anybody heal so quickly. What did you do? Because it really does any, hmm. it's any skin. And that's why it's such a weird product. What about just basic redness and dryness? Because I, I'm guessing if it's taken off to number one, it's probably not just all eczema. Totally. You use it, right? A hundred percent. And actually, I think when it's really taken off has been in this last year when we've had um, masks on so much. And honestly, this is something the customer has taught me because I don't really get maskne so much, probably because I don't leave my house, so I wasn't wearing a mask as much. But ultimately, a lot of people were posting about it and saying that it helped their maskne so much again, because I think when you're mm. in a mask, you're talking, and so then you're creating bacteria because bacteria comes out of your mouth, essentially, right? It's in your saliva. And so that's what's kind of, and you're not getting like air recirculating as well. So spraying SOS has been amazing for that, but it's basically good for any type of irritation, right? I think there's a lot of people out there that still kind of don't get facial sprays. Like a lot of people are like, oh, if I'm going to spend my money, I'm going to spend it on a serum or a moisturizer, which you guys don't have yet anyway. And I've often heard a lot of people like naysayers about sprays say, oh, do they really do anything? You know? So how do you respond to those types of comments? And have you heard that before? I think the main thing that has been helpful for us is honestly the reviews because the people are the ones who are talking about what works for them. So if you read the reviews, Mm -hmm. the proof is in the pudding. And even if you look at like our product pages, all of those before and afters, we didn't pay anyone for those. Those are 100% organic. People sending it to us and telling us this product has been amazing for them and sending us testimonials. I'm curious because we're probably going to go into some more maskne situations this fall. Do you think, are people seeing results from like actual, like the acne that results from the mask or dermatitis that results from the mask? Because I know there's like a couple of different things going on there, right? I honestly, I think it's both because both of those are reactions Mm -hmm. to, if you think about either of those, they're both versions of inflamed skin. So anytime your skin is inflamed, it needs to both like calm down, but also be clean in order to heal, right? So it really, Mm -hmm. to me, it comes back to bacteria. Anytime bacteria gets in the mix, like it just makes things harder for your skin. Yeah. So do you spray the inside of your mask? I do. Yeah. I mean, I spray my actual face. I do both. I spray my face and I spray the mask before I put it back on. So switching gears a little bit, I think it's just incredible how young Tower 28 is and the way that it's popped off, particularly at Sephora. I know you were able to successfully pitch them within one year of launching And last summer, you decided to share your pitch secrets and more with fellow BIPOC-founded indie brand by introducing the Clean Beauty Summer School in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about how that came together and what you learned from your first cohort and, you know, what's involved with that program. We literally just finished our second Clean Beauty Summer School last week. So if I can just take a quick moment to congratulate our winner, who is Folk Beauty. So it's Nyambi from Folk Beauty, and she has a beautiful line. And her um, the saying is, the tagline is soul food for the skin. It's a beautiful skincare line. But to go back to your original question, you know, one of the things I think I mentioned from the very beginning in starting Tower 28 was I really wanted to create access and celebrate diversity and see myself in 
a vision of aspiration from a, a woman of color perspective that I didn't have. And the other thing is, I think at a young age, part of the reason I think it took me so long to actually try to do this was because I didn't really have a, a role model, right? Like I didn't have, I remember being in business school and I met Jenny Ming, who was the, I think she was the president or CEO of Old Navy. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing to be able to see someone. So someone who was both Asian American and kind of, you know, like a, a lady boss, if you will. So one of the things that I really believe in is how important it is to, I think you just can't be it if you can't see it, right? And if we really do want the beauty to change, it has to change from the inside out. And I think especially as somebody who, I have kids, I have two girls who pay attention to everything and they're consuming media just like, you know, we did. And they're kind of getting to that age where they're being more conscious of the way they look and everything too. And I think one of the things I really, I want to do is if I can have a hand in it is to help change that. So specifically to your point, Clean Beauty Summer School really came up because I started thinking about like, what is it that I can do? And then coincidentally, someone during kind of the height of Black Lives Matter, someone emailed me just for a general, like, hey, at tower28beauty.com and said, other people are giving out grants. Are you giving out grants? And if so, could you give me one? I'm an aspiring beauty entrepreneur and I'm also a black owned beauty brand. And it was kind of funny to me because I had just filled out paperwork to get a loan. And so I was really not in a position to be doing that, but you know, Instagram versus reality, right? Like maybe, maybe it appeared. <laughs> I think some people think when you go into Sephora, it's just like, you're just printing money, oh, but yeah. it's not You're, quite you're just like sleeping that. on money at night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just sleeping be, on a bed of money. <laughs> yeah. That is not quite the situation. But so I offered this lovely woman, I was like, I don't know what I can do, but I'd be happy to chat with you. And so I did. And I was, I tried to give her some advice and she seemed really grateful for it. And I thought, well, how can I make this scalable? How can I actually help more people? Because we had made a donation and I think a lot of other people did too, but it felt kind of like, okay, well, what else, right? So this was my answer. I thought, well, what if I can get not just myself, but I'm friends with so many other beauty founders and executives in the industry, just having been in the industry for so long, that what if I could like pull together us as resources as, and be both mentors and teachers with literally no skin in the game, right? It was pretty DIY in some ways, right? Like I just text a bunch of friends and people I knew. Everybody said yes immediately. And we put together the program. And the first year we made it for Black-owned beauty brands only. We got 300 applications within two weeks. We picked 10 wow. people. Yeah, it was great. And we picked 10 people. And from those 10 people, we ended up doing, um, we paired them up with mentors, everyone from, you know, Diana Ruth, who's the COO of Milk Makeup, to my merchant at Sephora, to, you know, just a bunch of really amazing women. And then we also had taught classes. And basically most of the founders I know have some kind of a special sauce, right? Like Kat Chen from Skylar is amazing at operations. I'm on the marketing side. And then we have different people from different verticals teach classes. And then we had a pitch day in the end. And this year, the prizes were everything from a cash grant from New Voices Foundation to a PR retainer with Kylie Hughes at 6-1 Agency. A lawyer, Ty Gonzer, came on to give a retainer for his law firm. Headcount, which is a third-party sales support company, offered $20,000 of sales support. So it was really a very 
juicy prize, but thoughtful in the sense that it was all the support that you really need, not on an ongoing basis too, right? So that was really the hope around it. And we did it again this year. This year we opened up to BIPOC. We, again, had a huge number of people apply. We decided to take 11 because we couldn't choose between the 10th and the 11th. So we took 11 applicants or finalists, I mean, and we spread it out over 10 weeks and we literally just finished. And I think it's an amazing way to not, not only educate, I think that's one part of it, but really to me, it's about building community and creating an environment where people can ask questions and learn from each other. And I learn a lot too, to be honest. That's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, and we're going to link to to Folk Beauty as yeah, well please on do. our blog and in our show notes. We're also doing it again next year. I mean, so I'm hoping, you know, the plan for this is for it to be something we do every year. So mm-hmm. if anybody is out there and wants to apply, please, please keep us in mind for next year. And beyond the Clean Beauty Summer School, I know that you've been really vocal about Stop Asian Hate the movement as well. So can you maybe personally reflect on that a little bit and what that's meant to you this year and maybe how you've come together with other Asian American founders from different industries or just what that has meant for you to see a spotlight on Stop Asian Hate? Yeah, I think it is. It's been so reflective for me, to be honest with you, right? Because being Asian really is like being the the model minority and maybe it's cultural too, where you feel like you're not supposed to kind of, I don't know, complain or speak up or that, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there is a lot of that is built into who I am. And even, I think we talked about me being really risk averse in the beginning, right? My parents were very clear that they immigrated to America to give me a better life. And so I think there's a lot of expectation that gets put on you when that's the case, where you feel like you don't want to let them down, where you feel like you need to succeed. I think I, I led my life in a way that was really linear, right? Like I wanted to get your grades. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to kind of get these jobs, et cetera. And I think the stop Asian hate thing has really made me pause and think about my own responsibility as not just a mother, but in a business person, but somebody who can actually, I'm grateful that I'm in a position where now I've never had a any influence, right? Like I've never had a platform of influence. I've never had a podcast. I've never had, I don't know, even I don't barely post on social media as an individual, right? So I think it was more this moment to kind of self-reflect on like, I'm given an opportunity having Tower 28 that I can do some good. So whether it is through Clean Beauty Summer School or even thinking about like the types of images I put out there that I should just be more thoughtful about it. And I'm I'm grateful, you know, I've I've done some work with the Asian American Girl Club and I've had the nicest messages come through about how I think the same way Jenny Ming was someone for me, not to say that I'm, you know, as successful as her, but I think it is important for people to be able to to see something, to feel like they can do it. And growing up, I really felt like my options were, you know, I don't know, being Asian in America, I was like, what can I be a doctor? I can be a lawyer, you know, like I just didn't see people in really creative industries at the time. And now you do, not just in beauty. You see them like my brother's an architect, you know, like they're my sister's in fashion. Like I said, like, it's really, it's cool. And I hope that's something that I can, that I can do for someone else. Love that. And we have one more question for you today. 
Tower 28 has honestly achieved so much in such a short period of time. It's like a fan favorite and become a cult classic all at once. Can you give us any hints on what's next for you or for the brand coming up in the remainder of the year? Yeah. So we are working on some new product launches, which I'm really excited about. We just launched at Cult. <laughs> we just launched at Cult Beauty, and we, which is in the UK, and we sold out there within 30 minutes, which is bananas. And we're going into Kohl's right now. So I think, you know, one of the things we've talked about is how important access is to me. And I think being a mastige price point and then being able to go into ultimately 850 stores around the country with Sephora at Kohl's is a really incredible opportunity for us. And I really, I'm excited to bring our products into a different, you know, geography, a different socioeconomic demographic, all of those types of things. When is that happening? So Kohl's is launching now. They're launching 200 stores in August. I think it starts August. There's a couple now. August 20th will be about 200 of them. Next year, there'll be a total of 650. And the year after that, there'll be a total of 850. And by 2023, there'll be a total of 850. Expansion mode. I love it. Well, if I was a betting person, I would say there's skincare coming out. I'm going to bet mascara. You don't have mascara yet, right? Well, I will tell you that the larger swabs in my face are the ones that I like. have always felt like complexion is hard to do. But the other thing that has been really important to me was I was always really trying to cover up my skin from looking. Guys, reading between the lines. (laughs) Okay. There's some clues. There's some clues. Thank you so much, Amy. Love chatting with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday. Wednesday.